Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 230. All right, guys, jumping right in. Hey, Paranormal Chicks, I love your podcast. I just ran across it a few months ago, and I am now on episode 175, but I'm going backwards listening. I have a couple of stories for you, but don't know how to name them. Paranormal, weird, uh, I'll let you ladies tell me. Back in the 90s when I was 18, I was visiting family in New York, and a cousin took me to a party in Brooklyn. Now, I'm from the South and an introvert, so you can already tell I was ready to go home before we even got to the party. Well, it was almost 2 in the morning when we walked out of my cousin's friend's house. As we were walking down the stairs from his stoop, he was walking us out, we all noticed that there was an old Ford pickup truck parallel parked a few cars up in front of his friend's house. Like a truck we would see in Georgia picking up hay bales or something. But it wasn't the truck itself that caught our attention. It was the little white girl who was sitting in the cab between both the driver's and passenger seat turned around facing us while looking out the rear window. We could see her face clearly because it looked like the dome light was on over her head. I remember her face so clearly. A blonde, short, page boy haircut and blue eyes. Who the hell would even have a young child out at this time at night? To me, she looked between five and seven years old. But it was like a silent agreement that we would mind our business. So while my cousin and his friends continued to shoot the shit, I barely contained my anxiety of my social battery now being long dead. I noticed the door next to my cousin's friend's house open, and a guy comes out, heads towards the truck. I tap my cousin to gain his attention, and we all watch as the guy gets in the old Ford truck. But the little girl never moved. She didn't turn around and sit in the passenger seat. She just kept staring at us. This is when it hit me. She never blinked. The whole time. It might have been 10 minutes of us standing on the sidewalk before the driver got into the truck. Where she was just staring at us. She never blinked. She never turned her head. But what happened next is what sent us all running and screaming. When the truck pulled away from the spot and drove away, why... Was that blonde, blue-eyed child's head still floating in the space above the parking spot, staring at us? All three of us, my cousin, his friend, and I ran down the street, me in heels and a skirt. So scared, we ran past my cousin's car until we all ran out of breath. We were scared shitless. What the fuck was that? We finally had to talk ourselves into walking back to my cousin's car. We now had to give his friend a ride back to his place, even though he was like maybe 45 feet from his front door. We are still shaking and scared. I wanted my cousin to take his friend home with us, do a U-turn, and not have to drive back to his friend's house so we don't have to see that floating head again and take his friend back home when the sun came up. I wanted my mama at this point. But my friend still had folks at his house, and he insisted we take him back. The party's still going on at this point. New Yorkers, the party never stops. So we had to drive him back. To our relief, the head was gone. We literally... Well, I literally, with my small 5'5 self, took this 6'4 man and pulled him out of the car because he was moving way too fucking slow, climbing out of the back seat, and pushed him towards the sidewalk, jumped back in my cousin's car, and told him to drive. We did not wait to see if his friend got back into his house safely or not. I still wonder to this day who that little ghostly head belonged to, and why the hell did she decide to show herself to us? The second story. About five years ago, I decided to visit my great aunt and cousin. Different cousin from the first story. He's my great aunt's grandson. She's my favorite aunt and he is my favorite cousin. They're in Arizona. The reason why she's my favorite aunt is because she's always up for an adventure. She was always up for moving and doing something. You could barely keep up with her. I always looked up to her, but I hadn't seen her in the past 10 years and I was excited to see her. I'd made plans to stay at the hotel out there so I wouldn't have to put anyone out and decided to use my hotel points, but it was only enough for four nights. So the first night, I would need to stay with my great aunt. She had moved from Georgia out to Arizona, and the last time I saw her, she was in Georgia. She lived in a little quaint apartment and had a car and was healthy and happy. So imagine my surprise when I made it to Arizona and headed to her place after getting a rental car from the airport. She told me to call her when I was all away so she could meet me in the visitor's parking lot. At this time, she had moved into an elderly retirement community in Arizona. But her apartment was way on the opposite side of the visitor's parking lot on the back end. Now, I understand why she wanted me to meet her in the lot. The way the community was set up, it would have taken me forever to find her apartment. 
Well, when we finally got to her apartment building, she lived on the second floor. My aunt moved slower, and her age was finally catching up with her, it appeared. And that hit me hard. I hated seeing her that way. But what was so weird to me was her apartment building was in the back of the community. Her front door faced the wooded area, if you can call anything wooded in Arizona. Each building had four small apartments, two on the bottom, two on the top, with a small porch in the front of each. My aunt's front door, she had decorated with flower plants and a chair, but the other three were empty. It was like she was the only person who lived in this building. I asked her about it, and she said that she believed that she had a neighbor who lived below her. As we were walking up the stairs to go to her house, I looked at the neighbor's porch and windows. That place was empty. When we entered my aunt's place, I realized how small her place was. A small kitchen, a small living room, and a small love seat and armchair, her favorite chair, a bedroom, and a bathroom. In Georgia, she had a three-bedroom house. Now, I'm really worried about putting her out because knowing her, she was going to try to give me her bedroom for the night. And that's exactly what she said she was going to do. Now, my aunt is close to her 80s at this point, And like I said earlier, I'm seeing her age take over her now. There's no fucking way I was going to take her bed. I could fold myself in that small love seat. It was only for one night. The next day, I would go to a hotel. But my aunt insisted. This was the first time she and I had gotten into an argument. Plus, I was raised never to argue with your elders. You just agree, then go do what you were going to do anyway. But in this, I refused. But she stated she was going to sleep in the armchair. That the armchair is where she typically slept at anyway because she felt more comfortable sleeping in the armchair. That she barely slept in her bed when she was home. The armchair was typically her bed. Or if anything, she would take the small love seat. Again, hell no. Was I going to take my elderly aunt's bed and let her sleep in an armchair or on that small ass love seat? So... I thought of a compromise. I said, why don't we both take the bed? I used to sleep with her when she used to babysit me when I was a little girl. She agreed. By this time, it's 10 p.m. and I'm exhausted from the trip there. I start to get ready for bed and she was watching the news. She told me that she didn't really go to bed until around 2 or 3 a.m. because the medicine she was on keeps her up. So she'll get in bed when she gets tired. I made her promise me to come to bed and not sleep in that chair because it would make me feel horrible if I put her out of her bed and she promised to come to bed. So I get ready and climb in bed and slid all the way over to the right side of the bed so she could just climb in when she was ready. Anyway, I must have been really tired because I conked out. At some point in the night, I heard her come into the room, go to the bathroom. I remember seeing her dark shadow. She didn't turn on the light in the bedroom or the bathroom. And only the light from the TV illuminated the entire apartment at this point. I remember seeing her shadow exit the bathroom, then come and lay down in the bed next to me. I felt the bed dip, and I turned back towards the wall next to the bed, giving my back to her. The bed was a full size, so there is no room to not feel someone lying next to you. I remember her arm and her thigh touching my back and my feet. I thought it was weird that I still heard the television on in the living room, but I thought maybe she can't sleep without the sound on. I went back to sleep only to wake up around 7 a.m., eyes open, facing the bedroom wall. Sunlight was coming in through the only window she had in the bedroom, with the feel of her body curled up against my back. When my senses fully woke up is when I felt the weirdness of her body. The part that was touching my back didn't feel soft or human felt like petrified rock pressed up against me. I remember freezing, wondering why she felt that way. My instant reaction was, did she die during the night? Is this rigor mortis in my feeling? My heart sped up. I broke out in a sweat. I grabbed my cell phone from the nightstand. That little movement of me moving made her body push even harder into my back. It definitely felt like a solid rock. Telling myself I needed my phone to call for an ambulance and to call my cousin and tell him his grandmother was dead. Then I tried to tell myself to calm down that my aunt was old and maybe it's just her bones I feel pressing against me. She's not dead. It's just her bony body I feel pressing against my back. That I'm tripping. She's just sleeping and all her weight's on my back. But why didn't I feel any movement? Any chest rising or falling against my back or hear any snores or heavy breathing? My aunt is known to snore and there was no snoring or movement. Now I'm totally freaking out because now I know I'm laying next to a dead body. I jump up out of the bed and turn around and look down at the bed. There was nothing there. The only side of the bed where the sheets and the covers were messed up was the side I slept on. The side I left for her, there was no indention. The sheets looked as though no one had slept there. 
I stood there clutching myself onto my chest, heart pounding, sweat dripping from my body, looking at the empty bed. It took me a second to even hear the sound of the TV coming from the living room. I finally moved toward the bedroom door, not taking my eyes off the bed. When I got to the living room, my great aunt was asleep, snoring loudly in that damn armchair. It took everything in me not to shake her awake and demand she tell me that she did come to bed that night, but got up at some point and came back into the living room. But I didn't. I just took a seat in the small love seat and waited for her to wake up on her own and tried to calm down. When she finally woke up, she apologized for not coming to bed. She asked me how I slept. I didn't know what to tell her, so I said fine. With her up, I finally felt okay to head back into that bedroom. I made up her bed, got repacked, and ready to go to the hotel. I spent the morning with her, but as soon as I could, I got out of there and headed to the hotel. That afternoon, I was sick as a dog. Fever, achy, I felt like I had the flu. This was before COVID times. I stayed at the hotel for the full day and canceled all my plans for that day and the next. I was able to make it to the store and get some medicine, and the rest of the time there, I hung with my cousins. And when the subject of my great aunt came up, I told my cousin how shocked I am at seeing her be old now, and that when she was old before, but was always on the move, life of the party, and now it just looks like the energy has been taken out of her. He tells me that, yeah, after moving into that apartment, everything changed. She started acting her age now. Her energy wasn't the same. She gets sick frequently. That got me wondering, was there something in that apartment with her sucking out her energy, making her old now? I certainly was sick right after I left her, the same day, actually. I mean, it could have certainly been her age catching up with her now, but if you knew her before she moved into this apartment, you would also wonder if what cuddled up to my back in that bed has anything to do with her health deteriorating. I was happy to hear that the next year, my family moved her out of that apartment and moved her in with them, but she had to get deadly sick for that to happen. She is better now, but still not the same woman that moved into that apartment. Story three. Not much of a story, but more of weirdness. I have memories that are not my memories, or maybe they are. Let me explain, or try to anyway. My very first memory in this lifetime, the very first, is following what I now think was an angel down a tunnel and hearing her voice say, it's all going to be all right, just follow me. There was no body or face to this angel, just light filled with multiple bright colors surrounding me as we moved through what I think was a tunnel. The very next memory I have is being in my crib. My crib was in the living room of my mom's apartment. I had taken my shoe off and threw it through the bars of the crib and it landed with a thump on the floor. And my mom, who was in the kitchen, comes walking towards me. She picks up the shoe and leans into the crib towards me. Now, those memories are not as weird as me having memories of living in Paris, making love to some man. As a little girl, I had no idea what this memory was and no idea what the action of sex was taking place. Memories of me riding on a small yacht, memories of me in San Francisco sitting in a car, prepping myself for a job interview, memories of me having an affair with a man, memories of me being a captain of a fishing ship waiting for my crew to come back from shore leave, memories of being an elderly woman waiting for my husband to get out of the bathroom so we can hit the road to go see our new grandchild. There are so many more memories, but I won't bore you with all of them. The thing is, none of them are me, a now 40-something-year-old black woman. In these memories, I was either a white woman, white man, elderly black woman, black man, toddler, teen. I've always had these memories ever since I was a little girl. They are a part of me. I can recollect them as I can recollect memories of this life. At first, when I realized how weird it was to have these different memories, I told myself my mom must have sat me in front of the TV when I was a baby and let me watch different movies, and I took them in as memories. I spent the first six months of my life in the hospital. I was a preemie. They didn't think I was going to make it. And my mom was poor at the time. We didn't have a TV until I turned around five years old. So where the hell did these memories come from? I would say that they are previous life memories, but why the hell are some of these memories set in the future with future technology? If they were previous lives, wouldn't they be set in a time in the past? My memories are set up across multiple times, even the future. So can they really be previous memories? Hopefully when my time is up here in this life, that same angel can tell me what the hell is going on. Anyway, I told you this was going to be weird. Thank you, ladies. I love the podcast. I love your friendship and your accents always take me back to being a Southern girl. Best regards, Tay.
I don't know, Tay, but I think you should definitely invest in some future technology if you're dreaming about it. Like on that episode of Family Matters when he they time travel and she uh, he writes down like, or who does it? No, no, no. Uh, the dad goes with him and writes down to like, um, I think it was invest in Barbie or something. Of course, you go to Family Matters and you know what I went to? That movie Frequency. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. That's the only thing I could think of that had time travel. No, because he's like investing Google or something like that. When they're talking to the future, past, yeah. whatever. Um, also, Tay, are you Carrie? Because when you were saying that you were already like not wanting to go out when you were at home, I was like, that is Carrie. I'm already planning my exit. I really hate leaving the house sometimes. But also, what was that little girl? Like, that damn head was floating. Uh-uh, that's, uh-uh. That's so funny. That guy was like, no, you have to take me home. Well, bitch, walk! Uh-huh. Though I would want them to take me home, too, because I wouldn't want to walk by myself by that car. But the car was... See, this is what I was picturing. The car was, like, to the left, and they ran to the right, and so they were going to have to bring him back to the left Mm -hmm. instead of just going right. So I'd have been like, bitch, walk. We'll watch you. I'm not leaving this car. (laughs) Meanwhile, Carrie is so scared people are going to leave her. Mm -hmm. Like, before she even gets out of the car, you're not going to leave me, right? No, bitch. (laughs) Like, go. We're not going to leave you. I really do have a fear of that. And do not... Go like you're picking me up, and I go reach for the handle, and you pull off. Uh-huh. That's just not funny to me. I That's know cruel. It's not. That's not funny. That like that like brings like an innate fear in me. Yeah, like, that is not funny to me. Okay, the next one. It's titled "I Have a System." Okay, just accept it. Hey, beautiful creepy creatures! It's Indy again, writing in another story, and this one legit is too long, even for you, Donna. I've built a little system in my weird neurodivergent brain that says you can send in another story when you hear the last one you sent in being read, so the girls don't think they'll run out of stories anymore. Yes, I feel the need to single-handedly save the day from running out of sinister sightings. No one said I was logical. So my story today requires a trigger warning for suicide, and it all ties in past and present. I will be sobbing actively while I type this, so excuse any misspellings or grammatical errors. I'm still processing, and it's been a lot. It all starts in my first year of middle school, what feels like 10,000 years ago, but I think it would have been 2003 or something. I don't know. I'm a terrible mathematician, and I barely graduated on time in 2010. So, you know, math, numbers. Anyway, after growing up in St. Pete Beach area in the city, from palm trees to Cowtown, am I right? Anyway, I had to have a hobby, according to my mom, because middle school creates drugs and whoring. Ah, mom, I did it all anyway. Sports were out of the question because I was tiny and not at all coordinated, So my mother jammed me into band. Our director had us pick an instrument and we had to try to make a sound on it. So I picked the saxophone and after a sound I can only imagine was from the bowels of hell, he said, nah, brah, and moved on. I said, uh, what's the French horn? I tried it and I made a noise that sounded vaguely not otherworldly. And he said, not bad. We'll rent you a horn. There was a kid sitting in the other part of class who I learned was named Michael, and he selected trumpet. Over time, he and I became best friends, which I really didn't understand as he was always hyperactive and popular, and I'm that weird girl who dyed her hair pink and had a mohawk, which doesn't fly in the country settings. He was always so kind, and I'll admit I had a little crush on him. In eighth grade, as everyone was moving on to high school, He announced that he was moving up to Maryland with his dad. Go divorce family life. Anyway, we still talked all the time, and I still just adored my friend, even from afar. In the end of my sophomore year of school, he told me he was moving back to Florida to be with his mom and help with his little sister while his mom finished her law classes. I was so excited to see my friend again, and of course, summer band camp had arrived and my dear old friend had returned. Puberty and genetics had hit him like a meteor, and he was definitely a large pizza, which was surprising, and his voice had gotten lower, and his Puerto Rican side was a bit more obvious, but nothing was truly different. Unfortunately, our director said that we had too many trumpets, so he was given the choice to play something else. When I say this guy was talented, he picked up a euphonium slash baritone 
and played it in mere hours. He could play the drums, my horn, and the stand-up bass, cello, tuba, trombone. If it made a sound, he could play it in no time flat. Watching a dude his size play the piccolo? Hilarious. He taught me to value my abilities as a musician and how to dance to Thriller and would eat feta cheese, drink Mountain Dew, and chain smoke shitty cigarettes with me. Our friend group honestly circulated around us both. Eventually, our friendship would move on to more, but in the meantime, I was dating a guy named Jeff. Jeff was expelled for behavioral issues. He had all the good drugs. He wore plaid pants, blue Doc Martens, and had a mohawk or Liberty Spikes, depending on the day. He could build pipe bombs and potato guns, stole a motorcycle to take me on a joyride, and took me to all the house parties in the trap. Bad boy vibes all day. One night, he took me to a party that got busted, and because he didn't want his dad to ground him for asking if I could stay over, he got picked up and said for me to walk across the road to their neighborhood and sneak in the back window. Now, you're not from Florida, but the road he was speaking of was crossing the state road 50. It's a fucking state road, my guy. A busy-ass thoroughfare. Semis and people going 70-plus miles per hour. And it was about 1 a.m. in a neighborhood I wasn't totally familiar with. I, being young, dumb, and in love, said okie dokie with big old green and brown puppy dog eyes. Moments after everyone started to take off from this party, I started my hike. This was after cell phones, thankfully, but still, I was an 80-pound, 5-foot-nothing, 16-year-old girl in the dark at 1 a.m., walking alone in a neighborhood I didn't know. All of a sudden, a car full of guys pulls up alongside me, catcalling me, telling me to get in and party with them. And when I said, no thanks, I'm on my way to my boyfriend's house, they said, fuck you, bitch, get in. He ain't shit. We'll show you how to have fun. Come on. One guy started to jump out and move towards me, so I tore off running as fast as I could and ended up hiding in a big line of palm fronds. I didn't even realize how sharp they were. I was too panicked that these creeps would find me and hurt me. I picked up my phone and realized I didn't know who I could call. I tried Jeff and he said, you're fine. Just wait till they're gone and then head over. I couldn't call my mom. She was lenient beyond words, but she wasn't going to come save me at 1am because then she would hate Jeff for abandoning her only child to be raped and murdered by creepy scrubs leaning out the side of their best friend's ride trying to holler at me. What a tragedy that would be. Insert a huge eye roll. Yes, that concern still popped into my head. Teen idiocy at its finest. So I called the only person I knew who lived nearby, hoping maybe I'd get a response. I called Michael. He sounded groggy, but he said, I'll wake my mom up and we'll be there. They sped over and I spent the night curled up on their couch. He said, you deserve better than that. Please be careful. You mean more to the world than you know. Now I'm crying. You'll get why eventually. I ended up dumping Jeff. And wouldn't you know who I ended up with? At the end of our senior year, I never thought that I would ever cry as hard again for the rest of my life as I did the day we watched him be sworn in and he left for basic training. During the wedding planning process, I realized I was 18 and had never experienced life, so I broke things off completely. Jeff made a small return to simply introduce me to my now husband. It actually must be tough being Jeff, losing the girl you like to literally two different dudes in one lifetime. It is what it is. I got to get mine too, Jeff. Anyway, my husband and I were doing well with the business a few years ago, and he needed help on a renovation in a large house. And I suggested Mike because he was expecting a baby with his second wife, and their money and living situation was precarious. I wasn't honest to my husband about how Mike and I were connected, just old bandmates, and swore he and his wife to secrecy to keep it from my husband. I just wanted them to have what they needed for their kid, and I didn't think my man would want to help my ex out. I didn't really like the idea of lying, but I figured I'd take it to the grave to protect them and avoid the confrontation. Unfortunately, my secret had to spill out in the worst possible way. My sweet, kind-hearted, goofy friend father of five beautiful babies, army veteran, master musician, lost his battle with PTSD and depression and died by suicide at the lake next to my parents' house. I hate that he drove past two people who loved him like a son, even after we split, and didn't think they could help. 
He didn't reach out. He said nothing. He shot himself in a way that left him viable for organ donation, and he had tied all of their family debts into one consolidated loan, which was to be paid off by insurance, totaling the truck he did it in. I came clean to my husband as I sobbed, and it caused a lot of contention between us over half a year now, but we're working on it. I visited his gravesite on my birthday and on his. While working for a funeral home recently, we had quite a few services in the National Cemetery where he's buried. I hope he was proud of me every time I achieved something new. The thing I keep feeling is like he's still around, and this has been heavily supported by the amount of dragonflies I see. He's always reminded me of a dragonfly. He would never hold still for long, always darting around, and he was so beautiful to me when he could slow down long enough to stare, like a dragonfly. All I could think for a long time, and still do, is, but your beautiful face and mind, how could you destroy them without saying goodbye? One night, very late, a few days after his funeral, I went to take the trash out, and out of the pitch black, a dragonfly darts into the house and lands at my feet. My cat went to snag it, and my husband said, Oh, Louie, get it! Because, you know, men. But my heart just immediately shot through my chest, and I said, Babe, stop! Louie, no! And I scooped the dragonfly into my hands before the cat could bat at it. I walked outside, shut the door, and felt my eyes well up immediately. I said, thank you for coming to visit me, but you have to go now because you're breaking my heart all over again. And it wouldn't fly away. I started sobbing and it just sat there in the palms of my hands. So I swayed a bit and whispered, if this is really you coming to say hello, I hope you know I never stopped loving you and I will always remember you as who I knew you were, not who you felt you were at the end. Now go see the angels. I perpetually will always be the lady who whispers to dragonflies in the dark. I miss and love my friend, and it's very rare that he doesn't come to mind or visit in my dreams. In his memorial book, I told him that I will always dream of him in colors that don't exist, because I will. I pray to see him in heaven someday, but until then, I'll settle for the dragonfly visitors and the little dreams here and there. He was so goofy and kind-hearted, smart and handsome. I wish he and so many others suffering from mental health issues had the care they deserve, especially our veterans, 22 a day die from suicide. He asked for help many times from the VA and was told to buy a better mattress so he could sleep properly. This is a reminder to all who hear this to check on your friends no matter the circumstances or distance. And remember that your death may remove you from your pain, but it is like a poison that will spread to everything around you. Watching his beautiful children wail at his casket was enough to keep me here even in the midst of my own mental health struggles. Today has been a bad day. And hearing my story read about the blind man passing and his service dog just made my night a bit better. I know this isn't particular spooky or true crimey, but I did include my safe escape from creepsters facilitated by my dragonfly twin flame, if you believe in that. So I figured it fit. So sorry for the absolute length and girth, Donna, hubba hubba, of my story, but I wanted to share my beautiful friend's story and remind others that no matter how alone you feel, you are not. Biggest hug and love to you ladies and all of the creepsters in this amazing community. With love, Indy. Okay, first, I am so sorry for your loss. But can I just say, I tried the saxophone on the band tryouts too, and I could not even make a fucking sound. Not at all. Nope. No sound. Yes. So sorry for your loss. And I'm going to pull a Donna and say, so your mom was like, you're not coordinated. Here, walk while you blow on an instrument. (laughs) Well, in their defense, at first when they started, it wasn't going to be a marching band, I don't think. Mm. That's when you get into high school. Okay. Well, still doesn't sound easy Mm-mm. seems like that takes some coordination <laughs> yeah I don't have that I hope you and your husband do work through what you're going through right now and I also see dragonflies and that reminds me of my mom so uh I liked hearing this story too and I love what Indy said at the end you are not alone so really and truly if you are at a place where you're feeling like you can't go on, please reach out for help to the suicide hotline or or friends or someone. Also, uh, fuck Jeff. 
him telling you, just stay there. They'll leave and then come back, like, over to my house. For real shitty. Right? Like, fuck off, Jeff. Like, ain't no dick good enough to die for. Okay, the next one. Not so sinister sightings. Hey, little Donna and Carrie. I just started listening to your podcast about six weeks ago, and I have found my people. You keep me looking crazy while I drive around all over town as a home health nurse laughing at every episode. I have two relatively short stories, but they're about the same person. Just a little backstory. I grew up going to my mama's house every Saturday, and I was very close to her. She showed me how to sew, bake, and garden. Story one. When I was 11, she took her car in to get the oil changed and fell through one of the bays where she broke her hip and ribs and dislocated her shoulder. She looked like she went a few rounds in the ring. One night after Wednesday night church, I had this horrible feeling and I was insistent that I needed to see my mama. I begged, cried, and pleaded with my mom to take me to see her. My mom decided not to go over there, but did let me call her. She said she was fine, thanked me for worrying about her, and told me she loved me. Two days later, my mom got a call that my mama had passed away. I was devastated. She was my best friend, and I had lost her. I felt so guilty for not fighting harder to see her. I moped for weeks. One morning, I woke up hearing my obnoxious brother in the bathroom across the hall making an obscene amount of noise. As always, brothers, am I right? I sat up and saw my mama sitting at the end of my bed, smiling and happy. She didn't say anything, but she just sat there looking at me with her hand on my leg, and I felt so comforted in that moment. I think she was trying to comfort me and let me know she was okay. Story number two. My parents had divorced, and I was spending the weekend with my dad at Mama's house. The house is a long and narrow house with a hallway that goes from the front door to the very back of the house with all rooms coming off the hall. Any whoosie-whatsie, I was sitting in my dad's room watching TV, as you do as a teenager, with the door in my peripheral vision. Suddenly, I see a man walking from the back of the house to the front of the house. He was tall and skinny and translucent. My dad was tall, but an extra large pizza, and my brothers were scrawny, but short. I had never seen this man before, but tried to be a chameleon and just blend into my surroundings, hoping the spirit doesn't see me. He probably tried to ignore the crazy little girl side-eyeing the door he walked past. After about 20 minutes, I got back into watching who knows what on TV before I saw a tall, taller than me, woman walk down the hallway in the same dang direction. Also translucent. Also tall and slender. Also didn't look familiar. After round two of being super awkward, I went all hairy at the spot and peeked my head out the door to make sure there wasn't some secret tunnel that God and everybody was using as a passageway. There wasn't. I checked several times. Some things I forgot to mention are that the house was built by my great-grandfather in the 1910s, and my mama had a big collage wall that had pictures going back three generations. The next day, I was looking through the pictures on the wall, and I saw not only the man, but the woman too. I asked my dad who they were, and he told me the man was my great-grandfather. The woman was my mama, but younger than I had ever seen her. I know these aren't very spooky or anything, but I think they're both pretty cool. I also have some creepy stories from working in a small hospital during COVID and working in a nursing home several years back. I'll have to email those in another time. I love y'all so much, and I think of both of you as friends. Keep on creeping on. Thank you for keeping me sane. Whitney L. from Texas. I love these stories. You know why I think I love them? Because they're stories that I feel like I could experience. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean... I mean, I guess I technically could experience any of them, but I like really don't want to. But I would love to see like my grandma sitting at the end of my bed or, you know. Yeah. Like I feel more of a connection to them because I feel like they're more plausible in my life. Yeah, I get that. Because I definitely don't want to see a tall man. <laughs> I'm so glad that you got to call your mama when, you know, you wanted to go see her, but your mom was like, no, but I'll let you call her. You know, I was thinking about that, like, why would not your mom just take you? But my mom probably wouldn't have either. Like, you're coming home from Sunday church. Like, you got shit to do, homework to be done, yada, yada, yada. Like, you don't think that, you know, your kid's having this gut feeling of, Mm -hmm. no, we need to go, you know? Yeah. My mom would have done the same damn thing. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, life gets in the way and you don't think that's going to be the last time. Mm -hmm. I remember one time, so I... Like, wasn't supposed to make phone calls or get phone calls at my house past, like, 830. 
and I was in like upper elementary. So let's say somewhere between third and fifth grade. And um, sometimes I would get off the bus at the middle school and my grandma would pick me up there and then like I would go or I would walk to her house because she lived very close to the middle school. And one night I remember I could not sleep and I was laying there freaking listening to Amy Grant. Oh, Lord. And I could Literally. not sleep. <laughs> and I could not sleep. And grandma always went to bed at 10 p.m. Like always, like clockwork. And I panicked because I was like, do I get off the bus at grandma's tomorrow? Like, I could not remember. And so I called her and it woke her up because it was after 10 and I wasn't even supposed to be using the phone. And I woke her up and she told me, she was like, yeah, you know, you can get off the bus or whatever. And I was like, okay, don't tell mom and dad I called woke you up. <laughs> and then I remember laying there going, oh, they'll be able to see on the bill that I called. <laughs> what the fuck? Man, your parents were strict. <laughs> They didn't look at that bill. No. They didn't have a day. They didn't even get, they wouldn't even have, I really thought they would care more that I woke grandma up. Yeah. They just didn't want to be woken up by somebody calling the house. Yeah. So they really didn't care as long as they didn't call. But I mean, I also was like in probably third or fourth grade. Yeah. Like a 10 year old. That's still, I don't know. I was like, (laughs) okay, thanks. Love you, but don't tell mom and dad. (laughs) Oh, Lord. We grew up so differently. I want to know if Colby had a curfew on phone calls, too, because he pretty much grew up like I did. You know he didn't. <laughs> I, I think Tiffany had a curfew, maybe. Because cause Tiffany and I grew up very similarly, and Donna and Colby grew up very similarly. Okay, the next one. An ode to the demon in a box. Hey, guys. My name is Tori. I'm 23 years old, and I was born and raised in New England. I'm currently going through college, and I work with kids who have developmental disabilities, behavioral issues, and mental health struggles. I have been, quote-unquote, strange since childhood. I have a full arsenal of haunting stories and paranormal events to share, but here's the most intense paranormal event that's ever happened to me. But be warned, it's dark. This is one of many, so if you'd like something lighter, let me know and I can type one up. I can confirm with my sister about a lot of these events, and I think part of me just wants them off my chest and to see what others think of them. This story contains mention of violence and torture, mentions of gore, and some brief mentions of trauma, but not going into detail. I hope you'll take a look and come to your own conclusions. To start this story, I think it's important to share a few important details of my youth. I have always been witness to the unexplainable. Growing up, my parents were divorced. This meant two houses and two separate hauntings. Having been a traumatized kid, I was selectively mute until I was 14. In the early days, the less I spoke, the more I saw. And I saw a lot. Despite all of this, I was a very religious child, affectionate and empathetic and sensitive. The haunted Victoria tenement house my dad and my grandparents lived in was brutal. The landlord's half that we resided in was two floors and a basement, though it was only on the weekends for me. My sister and I had rooms on the other side of the house from my grandparents and up a flight of stairs. We had our own floor with a room each, a bathroom and a spare room. Doors would open and slam on me, stopping only when I pretended to sleep, then continuing if I showed any sign of being awake. I watched a ghostly cat walk through a wooden fence in our backyard. My dad would force me to sleep in my own room, two floors away from his dwelling in the basement. He'd leave me there crying and screaming that all the ghosts were trying to get me. My sister claims to have seen a little boy warning her of the ghost in our spare room. I named the ghost in our spare room Charlie, a grouchy, sadistic old man. This is neither here nor there, just simply setting the environment for the real story to come. My mother's house wasn't much better, though the activity was less malevolent and more reserved. The eerie feeling always settled onto my chest that this house wasn't my home. It belonged to someone else. The most notable event was the time the power went out. My parents had both left for work during a power outage, leaving 13-year-old me to get ready for school by candlelight. My sister had already driven herself to school, meaning it was just me in the house. I was crunching on some frosted mini wheats when a shadow splashed across the hallway wall. Sitting at the island, I paused, 
looking across and directly at the wall. I didn't dare move the spoon from its place in midair. The shadow morphed from a blob into a shadow of a very tall man. Except multiple things were wrong with this. One, no one else was home, including my stepfather who had first shift. Second, there was a strange shape coming out of the shadow's forehead. Something I knew in my gut was a single horn. So keeping all of this in mind and that there are far too many moments to cover here, I will begin the story. I started experimenting with witchcraft at 14. It was stupid, really. Salt circles on the floor, pentagram made of salt to summon strange things. Now, none of this would have done a thing. Salt and pentagrams are staples of protection used in witchcraft. I'm currently 23 years old and far more seasoned. I know what I'm doing and I've learned so many lessons the hard way. What did me in was the Ouija board. To this day, I will not touch those, despite many witches using it as a divination tool. After this, yeah, I'll stick to my tarot cards. The Ouija board was nothing dramatic. I assumed the characters that had come through were just the maniacal imaginations of two teenage girls around a spirit board in a confined, haunted Victorian house. I don't believe we actually contacted an elderly lady, but I do believe that by not using proper Ouija board etiquette and saying goodbye, we left a door open a crack. But that crack was just enough. It began with nightmares, as it often does. Before this event, I'd only had a few nightmares. They were the normal childlike nightmares, despite the trauma I'd suffered. Nightmares like my dad was sick, or I'm being chased by a faceless and nameless bad guy. But these, these were different. They were brutal and violent. There was gore, bloodshed, and all manner of twisted scene play rolling through my slumbering brain. I'd awake with this horrible sensation that something was watching me shatter and enjoyed playing with the pieces. I don't know when it happened, but it began to bleed into my waking life. That that sensation followed me. At my mother's, at school, and in the dead of night when the house had fallen silent. Then came the visions. They were something like waking dreams. Not quite a daydream, but also nothing I could control. It wasn't something I could see in the physical, like a hallucination. It was torture in the literal sense. In these visions, I could hear screaming, begging, and even worse, it was as if I had entered hell itself. When seeing others being tortured no longer worked, the visions got personal. All the while, I was disintegrating. My gut told me what you can already guess. This was a demon. As stated before, I'm a practicing witch. I now work with a few demons in my practice. A common misconception about demons is that they're always malicious and purposely seek out humans to drag into their hellscape. This is not quite right. Most demons, in my experience, don't care about humans. We're just a simple breed of creatures who exist and they have far better things to do with their time. But this one was different. The visions changed from others being tortured to me being the star of the show. I won't share what I've seen here. It's for the best. It was graphic, beyond my wildest nightmares. To this day, the sight of blood in larger quantities makes me faint. That never happened before this demonic attachment. I suppose things are different when you've seen it up close. There was a rage that simmered below my surface. I felt new, violent feelings. Anyone who knows me also knows that I am naturally a compassionate person, but I was stuffing down terrible and violent intrusive thoughts. Sometimes, just sometimes, when I looked at myself, I didn't see me. I saw it. It looked like me, but like something was off. I was barely sleeping, nauseous all the time from the things I've seen, and stuck in a dark space. I spent nights thrashing around my bed in waking dreams, only to drag myself from a twin-sized bed covered in rainbow hearts to a window with lace curtains overlooking the church. I would beg God to help me. I couldn't figure out why he would let this happen to a child so close to his house. Then one day, after looking upon the darkened church, shortly after my confirmation, I found myself clutching a crucifix they'd given me upon making my vow to the church. Anger ran red hot, eating away at the icy terror always sitting in my chest. If God wouldn't help me, I would do it myself. I called out to the entity. 
this immovable, impenetrable force that lingered suddenly crowded around me. I felt like I was drowning in this awful sensation. I felt like a rabbit in a trap. I didn't stop. It was an internal battle of wheels. The room was silent, but it felt so loud. In my head, I told this demon that it was pathetic for picking on the weakness of a teenage girl. I fought to let my light burn through this black cloud of oppression, rage, and sadistic glee. All while telling this being that it didn't matter if I was small and damaged, I would be the one coming out of this fight. This went on for over an hour, until the darkness seemed to disperse. I felt the normalcy of the darkened room. Only then did I realize that the crucifix was still tightly grasped in my hand. I only remembered because suddenly the cross felt hot. I dropped it, hissing at the sudden pain. It fell to the floor, and I had realized what I had done. I had channeled this entity, even just a small part of it, into this necklace. The necklace was eventually lost, then forgotten, until I was in my early 20s, and I had spotted it on my bedroom floor at my mother's house. Immediately upon picking it up, that familiar, disturbing feeling pricked over my skin. Into a bowl of salt it went. I recently created a box to keep it out of sight, complete with a pentagram to draw out the earth's protection and to keep the entity trapped there, hopefully forever. I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it. I can't risk it getting out, no matter how small a part of the demon it is. To this day, the nightmares continue on, and each time I awaken from something obscenely gruesome, I feel hell's handprint on my soul. I believe some of us have seen into the abyss and taken a piece of it with us, but I'm better now. It was a long recovery, and I think I'm still recovering, even after eight years, but I'm once again the tender-hearted, bubbly person I was. Moral of the story, Ouija boards can be great tools if you know what you're doing, but sometimes when you reach out into that unknown, you're never the same. If you want more information, please ask. Thank you, Tori. I fucking told you, ain't no way, ain't no how I'm touching the fucking Ouija board now. I mean, I wasn't going to before, let's be honest, but I damn sure ain't now. <laughs> Mm-mm. Well, even Tori says they can be no. a good tool. Mm-mm. You just have to use it correctly. See, you have experts, smart people, and then you have us. True. We are none of the above. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're getting back to your old self. And that's so scary. Like, it's so scary. I can't even process that story that's so scary. And we definitely want the lighter ones that you've talked about, like you kind of teased at the beginning. We want all your stories. Yeah, because uh, your girl over here is starting to panic. We're going to run out. (laughs) We are running low. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to put it out there. We're running low, y'all. We're in June reading stories. And we're up in September, y'all. So um, we used to be a year ahead or behind. Yeah, whatever the verbiage is. So getting kind of nervous here, guys. (laughs) You sounded like Minnesotan. Don't you know? Okay, the next one. My haunted car. Hey ladies, I hope you enjoyed my last story about the nightmares and hallway visitors. This time I'm going to tell you about my haunted car. Picture it. It's the year 2000. I'm 20 years old, living what I think is my best life. I'm driving this early 1990s maroon-colored Chevy Lumina. Obviously, I purchased it used, but it was new to me, damn it. I loved and abused the shit out of this car. I definitely did not take care of it in the way I should, and eventually blew the motor out of it. Oops. Anywho. I really didn't notice anything odd about this car at first, other than something I swore I sat on the passenger seat, suddenly not being there kind of things. It became a running joke with all my friends because it would happen to them too. Front or back seat, it didn't matter. If you sat anything on the seats, it would vanish. Now, I don't mean that it vanished into the black hole between and behind the seats. I mean it vanished. It was nowhere. Most of the time, it seemed to be lighters and chapstick. We would always joke that my car ate things and then just blow it off that it must have fallen out of a pocket somewhere or something. Occasionally, the lost item would show up again, always on the front passenger seat, always in plain view. Again, it would be laughed off that we must have set it there and not seen it or whatever. No big deal. Well, one day, a friend of mine, let's call her Rose, asked if she could borrow my car to go to work. 
She was already running late and her boyfriend would take forever to come back with hers. I threw her the keys and she ran out the door. She later comes back from work and she's like, dude, you are never going to believe what happened to me in your car. My first thought, this bitch just wrecked my shit. She then proceeds to tell me that she hopped into the car, adjusted the seat. The woman was seriously tall. Adjusted the side mirrors and went to adjust the rear view mirror. As she looked up to grab it, she sees a red-headed guy sitting in the back seat. She yells, what the fuck? And whips her head around to look and there's nothing there. She turns back around and looks in the mirror and sees nothing. Confused and thinking maybe it was a neighbor that had just looked like they were in the car or something, she left for work. This would become a recurring theme whenever she borrowed the car. She would just start it up, look in the mirror, and there he was. When she looked back, he'd be gone. She was pretty open to the paranormal too, so she eventually just started waving and saying hi to him when she started the car. Another time, a couple of the friends and I are out cruising the main street in our town, jamming to music, smoking cigarettes, and just being young and dumb. As one does. We kept seeing this car full of cute guys, and they kept waving and honking at us, but none of us really wanted to pull over, so we cutely wave at them and keep going. About an hour or so later, we run into the car of guys again, and this time we decide to stop. There's three guys and three of us. Perfect. We pull into the parking lot, and we start kind of chatting. One of the guys looks at me and asks whose boyfriend we ditched. We all laughed and said, none of us had a boyfriend. The guy laughs and says, so who was the guy in the back seat when we saw you earlier? We all just looked at each other. There was no guy with us. I told the guy he must have confused us with another car. And one of his buddies was like, no, it was you guys. We saw him with you. Kind of a tall guy, red hair. I got goosebumps as I remembered the guy Rose had described a week before this. We insisted there was no guy with us and it was eventually forgotten about. The first time I saw him myself, I was getting ready to back out of the driveway when I looked in the rear view and there he was, smiling and waving at me. I turned around and didn't see him, but I said to what appeared to be an empty back seat, dude, you can't fucking scare me like that. I don't care if you hang out, but damn, not cool. Warn me or something. After that, anytime I'd get into my car, I'd smell a pine scent. I'd see him in the rear view mirror, but he wouldn't warn anyone else. He just surprised the shit out of anyone who barred my car. On the bright side, they all eventually stopped wanting to borrow it, and my gas seemed to last a lot longer since no one wanted to take the ghost car. I would describe him as being in his late teens, early 20s. He had red hair, kind of shaggy, less cool beaver style. He had freckles across the top of his nose with bright blue eyes. He wore a tan-colored shirt and jean jacket, and he was always smiling when I'd see him. I never did find out what his attachment was to my car, but after I junked it, I never saw him again. Well, that's it for this one. I hope you enjoyed the story of my haunted car. Creeping it real, Chris. Oh my God, your friend Oh my God. Like just imagining like, you know, just focusing on getting the mirrors right and then seeing someone behind you in the back seat. No, thank you. Also, my pet peeve in life is when someone borrows my vehicle and changes every fucking setting. I mean, safety, blah, blah, blah. I mean, do that, but don't. <laughs> you change settings. You have two seat buttons. So it's like, burp, burp. <laughs> I just, when I would take my dad's vehicle I was not allowed to change anything. Yeah. Like, or you put it back exactly the way you found it. So if you adjusted that mirror, you better adjust it right back to how he had it. So I just learned to drive with his settings, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I'm talking like down to the, if he had it backed into a parking spot, it better be, which it always was, backed into the carport. You better back it back in. Your parents were so strict. <laughs> <laughs> Says the girl who didn't get her driver's license until college. You're right about that. This was also the same dad that would let me at 14 years old go driving it in the neighborhood. It was a 1984 wrecked Honda Accord, but the point is I was still able to drive it. Oh, for sure. I would take it to the grocery store sometimes, too. <laughs> I mean, it's wrecked already. <laughs> the shit would go dead when you stopped at a light. You had to crank it back up. Girl, I used to have a Toyota that did the same thing. And, oh, my God, I did. So I got my car to take my test on because we did not have any good cars to take a test on. Like, I, my mom had a Uick. The B was gone, so we just called it a Uick instead of a Buick. And a baton was holding up the console. Like, and I'm like, they're not going to let me mm -mm. take this test. They're going to be like, ma'am, no. So, saved up, bought a, I called it the sweat box because it did not have great AC. Like, you had to be going for it to go. 
But yes, so I drove that around campus that has a lot of stop signs. And I would be like, please don't anyone be walking because I got to breeze through this because that's embarrassing to have to be like, oh, just like. Uh, I, too, had to get my dad's mom, who I was not close to. She had to take me to do my driver's test because um, none of our cars would pass it either. Like none of our cars would have passed the inspection to like our we had a um, we had a Ford Explorer and you would have to like turn the key like you were cranking it but it wouldn't crank you had to take um eyeglass screwdriver pop the hood <laughs> and connect the battery to something and it would be like rrr, rrr, and crank right up <laughs> so that wouldn't have passed the inspection either yeah, no like hold please let me crank the car and i pop the hood and, and i just need these eyeglass little screwdriver real quick <laughs> what was i connecting no idea <laughs> also my mom uh she backed in to the parking spot because of course she had to drive over there because i was like so nervous well and i didn't have my permit either because i got like my permit then i got my license like mm-hmm. same time well because yeah, she was that old yeah she didn't have to do the waiting period <laughs> yeah um but she backed it in so i could easily pull out because i was so nervous and they're like no, you have to. You have to change. <laughs> <That's right. mine. laughs> okay, so my dad's mom, as we're pulling into the parking spot at the DMV, hits the car next to us <laughs> oh, and wasn't going to say anything. And somebody was in that car. Oh shit! And so, like before my test, like the trooper comes out and is like, "Did you have this car?" And she was like, "Yeah." <laughs> oh god! Like they were. She was like, "Well, yeah." And he was like, "Well, they were in there. They know you hit it." <laughs> god. Uh. Okay, wow, that went into a DMV tangent time. But also, uh, I feel like that's my couch because I lose remotes in that couch and I have been on my belly on the floor looking through that and I can't fucking... Ma'am, the image of you (laughs) on your belly on the floor, just, I'm dead. I'm so weird that I put a blanket down before I get on it because you know I'm weird about... That doesn't surprise me in the least. (laughs) And Marley's like... What's going on? What are, what are we, we doing? Bl- what are, we, are we making a fort? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but I really, I'm on my third, third room. <laughs> Wait, are you really? <laughs> Meanwhile, you just probably undo the Velcro and then I'll fall out. No, I have looked everywhere. I need you to come and find it. Have you tumped it over? No, I don't want to break it. Oh, Jesus. But I've like been on my stomach on the floor. and You I've, were not going to break it if you tump it over to clean out from under it. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Don't come at me with logic. But <laughs> I like put them in the, what do you call it? The reclined position so I could see like under it. Yeah. I can't fucking find it. Oh my God. That's so funny. That is the worst. I hate that when it falls in the black hole between, because you have a stupid fucking sectional and it falls in there and you have to, oh. Okay. The next one. A possibly haunted house. Hey there, beautiful ladies. I'm Brittany, a house cleaner from South Carolina, and I've been listening to y'all almost every day while working for about eight months. And I decided to finally write in. You two have definitely caused me to have a few jump scares and laughs at work when an owner walks into a room and I'm so into the story that I think a ghost or a murderer done walked in on me. But my story goes back to around 10 years ago when my mom, another lady we'll call Rose, and I were cleaning a very old house on Polly's Island. I've heard stories that there's a few places that are haunted there, and I'm pretty convinced this house is one of them. Whenever we would walk into a room, the doors would slam behind us. Sure, it could have been the wind, but every room had a door to it, and every single one of them slammed. So, do with that what you will. There was also a footprint with three toes imprinted into the wood floors upstairs. And when Rose and I were cleaning in the kitchen, we heard my mom having a conversation with the man in the other room. This lasted about 15 minutes and we were both very confused and asked who she was talking to when she finally walked back into the kitchen, but she said that she hadn't been talking at all and no one was there. It creeped both of us out and I haven't been back there since. I know it's not the most spookiest of tales, but that's all I've got, thankfully. But I'll end it with saying this is a thousand percent my favorite podcast and I'm so happy I found y'all. I love you guys. Well, thank you so much for your sweet comments, but I have heard of Polly's Island, so you're going to be like, and you're saying it wrong, but (laughs) I have heard of that, I swear. I need to look into it. Meanwhile, you're like eavesdropping and you're like, what are they saying over there? I can't really hear them. And like, 
nobody's actually talking. Yeah, uh-uh, that's creepy as fuck. Okay, the next one. Good morning, ladies. I've written in before about my experience when my mother died, but I have another story for you. Back in 2005, my ex-husband, our six kids, two pugs, and I moved to a little town in Illinois called Sterling. My ex had been transferred to the Chicago branch of his company, and while he was getting situated with the company, I was still in Wichita with the kids looking for houses to rent. Well, I ended up finding this gorgeous five-bedroom, three-bath farmhouse about 15 minutes outside of Sterling. I emailed the information to my ex, who then contacted the realtor to take a look at the home. It ended up being perfect for us, and rent was extremely cheap with it being such a huge home on the amount of land it was sitting. Well, fast forward, we're finally able to move in. The house ended up being perfect for our family of eight. Huge bedrooms for all of the kids, several acres of land, barns, and just a beautiful area to live in. About a month after we moved in, my ex-husband's best friend came to stay with us until he found a place for him and his family to live. The same weekend, my in-laws were visiting and sleeping on the pull-out couch in the living room. My ex and his friend were down in the basement watching TV. I was in bed, and so were the kids and the in-laws. The next morning at breakfast, my mother-in-law asked my ex why he turned the AC all the way down. My ex said he had fallen asleep down in the basement. Then she went on to describe this man that she had seen standing at the thermostat turning it down. Later on in the day, my ex's friend told us another story. He said that my ex had fallen asleep and he was still watching ER. As soon as ER was over, he went over and turned the TV off. The TV we had was one of the old-fashioned bulky TVs that had no remote. When he laid back on the couch, tried to go to sleep, the TV turned on by itself. So once again, he got up and turned it off. This went on three or four more times before he finally told my ex to quit laying on the remote, to which my ex told him there wasn't a remote for this TV. Fast forward about two weeks later, and we were talking to our neighbors, who was our landlord's daughter, and told her what happened. She looked shocked and then showed us a picture of her father, who had passed away a few years before of a heart attack. The description that my mother-in-law gave was the man in the picture, whose name was Ray. We lived in the house for four years, and during that time we had incidents that just weren't able to be explained any other way than Ray visiting us. He would turn TVs on and off. Usually when this happened, one of us would say, hi Ray, and the TV would shut off. And he took a particular interest in our youngest, who was a year old at the time. We would hear her just randomly babbling and saying hi to someone when no one was in the room. Another instance, she was trying to go down the basement stairs in front of me and fell. This little girl should have gotten hurt since the basement floor was cement, but it was as if someone caught her at the bottom and set her on her feet. Another time, the children were playing with what looked like red sand outside. Later, we found out that it was pesticide, and that pesticide ended up killing our dogs and all of our cats. But for some reason, our kids were unharmed. Another time, we had a tornado hit the area, but for some reason, it took out all of the trees in front of our house, but never touched the house. We've since moved back to Kansas, and the baby is now 21, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss that house and our guardian ghost, Ray. In fact, all of our kids will tell you that that was by far their favorite place that we lived. Well, back to work I go, because, you know, the bills don't pay themselves. Keep it real, my favorite spooky ladies, Tanya. Okay, first things first, I love how you spell your name. And secondly, I want a ghost to protect me. And I swear Carrie has one because she is so accident prone, but she's like Mr. Magoo. That's big facts. And oh my gosh, I hated those kind of TVs. Because being the youngest kid, you had to get up and turn the channel and shit. Also, I would have just, this is how lazy I am. I would have just been like, you know, fuck it, it's staying on. Oh, you know I don't like that. Oh, I sleep with the TV on. Well, I can sleep with the TV on. But, like, just in the day, I couldn't. You literally take naps all the time with the TV on. What are you saying? But, like, just having it on during the day. I'm talking about the friend at night, like, getting up, like, four times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, last one. Weird life update. Hi there, ladies. My name is Jessie. I wrote to you guys a while ago about a few stories I had when I was working at AutoZone. Now, I don't work there anymore because of some unfortunate events. But anyways, I wanted to give you guys some updated weird things that have been going on with my life lately. 
My mom passed away in February of this year, 2023, and a week after I almost lost my dad, some scary shit happened. Luckily, my dad's okay, but I'm convinced my mom keeps haunting me or something solely because she didn't like me when I was a kid or something. My boyfriend has an Xbox One, the first generation, where the button to turn it on is touch sensitive. Well, that would keep turning on randomly for no apparent reason. Then the TV in the living room one day was just on a channel playing, then it suddenly went super loud on static. I freaked out and turned it down, then the TV off. I had to unplug the Xbox just to keep myself from being paranoid about it. I most recently worked at a dealership in my town when one night when I was closing alone in my department, I heard the sound of someone in my old office knocking on the door as if they were giving a warning before opening knock like they do at a doctor's office. I asked my boss to check the cameras and they saw nothing. Not sure what it was to this day, but I will update you guys if anything else happens. Creep it real. Well, your mom holds a grudge more than I do, apparently. If you're like, she's haunting me because she didn't like me as a kid or whatever. I mean, meanwhile, no kid should ever have an parent that doesn't like them. Yeah. But also weird that we had two stories back to back about like TVs and like things turning on, like all about electronics and stuff. Um. Also, this is a side note. At the doctor's office, when they knock, I always am like, yes. <laughs> like, Do you? In. Yes, I do. I can't help it. You're like, uh- I'm so prim and proper. (laughs) It's my beige flag. Also, I'm very sorry about your loss. Oh my gosh, yes. And then to have such a tragic event with your dad just just after that. And I'm so glad he did make it. I I couldn't even imagine losing both back to back like that. No. My red flag is I'm like, you should do a Ouija board to see if it's your mom. (laughs) Your red flag is your existence. (laughs) You're not wrong. You know what you sounded like how you said that? You know those TikToks where people like read memes to you and then they laugh like they've never heard them before? There's this one that goes, when he does it, he goes, I'm sorry. Like as he's laughing, you sounded just like him. Uh, Thank y'all so much for these stories. Yes, keep them coming because y'all, I'm telling you, I'm getting real worried over here. What what y'all gonna do when we can't do them every week because y'all aren't sending your stories? God. Don't mind me and my guilt trip for y'all. If you want to send your story in, and remember, you can also send in ambient stories too, because we do love them. Yeah, it can be true crime, paranormal. It could be something that you're just like, this was weird. Or it could be like, this was sweet or whatever. You know, we just like to hear what's going on. We're nosy bitches. That's our beige flag. (laughs) But tell them where to send it. So if you want your story read on an episode, just send it in to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.